I love a great story with an unexpected ending. There are some, there are some iconic movie examples of this. A, cl a classic example, of course, uh, from my generation is the end of The Empire Strikes Back when we learn the connection between Darth Vader and uh, Luke Skywalker. I remember sitting in the movie theater as a kid, uh, totally stunned, and I've been hooked on unexpected endings ever since. One of the most famous examples came out uh, 20 years later in 1999. The Sixth Sense is a, a creepy story about a kid who communes with the dead. My wife Whitney and I saw that one in the theater together, uh, and it's still the most shocking ending I've ever seen. One of the things that I love about unexpected endings is that uh, they cause us to rethink what's come before, or at least to replay it in our mind. A good storyteller will leave breadcrumbs along the way uh, so that if we rewatch the story or reread the story, as the case may be, we'll see uh, the hints, the clues, the, the foreshadowing that ultimately pays off at the end. In fact, uh, the best stories make us want to revisit them over and over again, which of course is what we're doing here today. Now, maybe you are new to the Christian faith, and this is your very first Easter worship service. If so, you may not yet know that this is the most important day in our calendar, and you're in for a treat, because the story that we're telling today is the one that we believe is the most important story ever told. Most of us, though, I'm guessing, uh, have been to at least a few Easter worship services before, and if that's true for you, you're probably familiar with at least some of the details of this story. You're probably expecting to hear some of these details today. For example, you may remember that part about the big earthquake uh, and the angel who descends from heaven and rolls back the stone to open the tomb. It's a very cool detail which, as it turns out, is only found in Matthew's Gospel. By the way, uh, if you always thought that the stone had been removed from the tomb before the women arrive, your memory is not failing you. That is actually the way the other three Gospels tell the story. Or you may remember how, uh, after the women enter the tomb, two men in dazzling clothes suddenly appear out of nowhere next to them, understandably startling them. And these two strangers explain to the women what's happened, uh, and then they run off and tell the disciples, who for their part don't believe it. Those particular details are only in Luke's gospel. Or maybe you remember that, that poignant scene between Mary Magdalene and Jesus in the garden outside the tomb. The story goes that she sees Jesus but mistakes him at first for the gardener. Many of us love that part of the story. There's even a beloved hymn based on that story uh, in the garden. But that particular scene is only in John's gospel. This morning, we're actually not going to hear any of those kind of familiar details. We're not going to hear about an earthquake. We're not going to hear about a descending angel. We're not going to hear about uh, news shared with incredulous disciples. There's no appearance of the, of the remaining 11 disciples at all, actually. Nor is there even an appearance of Jesus, for that matter. Instead, the version of the story that we're reading today is the earliest account 
of the resurrection from the first gospel to have been written, the gospel of Mark. And I'll just be honest with you here, Mark's gospel is not really my, my go-to gospel, certainly not for the Easter story, because Mark's gospel lacks all of those wonderful details that I just mentioned. None of that is, is in here. Uh, each year, the recommended gospel reading for Easter morning uh, rotates between Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The beloved and frankly probably most popular account from John is an alternative option every year. I've only ever preached on Mark's Easter story once. I typically choose the alternative reading from John when it's Mark's year. Uh, but after the year we've just had, for reasons that I hope will become clear, I think, I think Mark's version is, is actually pretty fitting for today. So we're going to read the first seven verses of the story right now. We're going to save the ending for a bit later. This is, as I mentioned, the gospel lectionary text for today. Mark chapter 16. I'll read right now verses 1 through 7. Listen, friends, for the word of God as it is proclaimed by God's servant, the evangelist Mark. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So Easter last year was a surreal experience because all of us were at home on Easter morning in those early confusing days of the pandemic. Every church was empty that day. There was a, a fair amount of uncertainty and fear in the air, especially uh, as we watched those horrible images of overburdened hospitals in Italy and New York City. In the beginning of the lockdown, uh, last March, a year ago March, I had fully expected to be back to normal by Easter, which uh, honestly seems to be ridiculous in retrospect. I certainly never expected that we would still be dealing with COVID-19 now for a second Easter Sunday morning. But then the, the pandemic was just the first of a, of a series of challenges as the past year has been full of one disorienting event after another. We saw a summer-long series of protests all across the nation, unlike anything that I've seen in my lifetime. The election was one of the most rancorous in our history. Even Mother Nature did not let us off the hook here in Texas as we had this, this month-long deep freeze in February with disruptions to power and water that were, that were actually worse than anything that I can remember. And I've lived in Maine and South Bend, Indiana, so I'm familiar with severe winters. 
Seriously, when you consider the challenges that we've faced in terms of social upheaval and politics, the weather, and of course the virus that shut the entire world down for a while and from which the world is still recovering, the past year has been rough. As a congregation, we have journeyed together through some some pretty unexpected experiences over the past year. And even though there are wonderful signs of hope, as millions of Americans have been, are, are being vaccinated each day, as the weather warms and as things gradually begin to return to, to pre-pandemic normal, still today, there are far fewer people on campus for this Easter than will be here next Easter, God willing. So it's fitting near the end trust of this disorienting and disruptive season of our lives together that we're reading Mark's account of that first Easter, because while all four of the gospel narratives uh, capture in varying degree the sense of disruption and disorientation that those earliest disciples must have felt after Christ was crucified on Good Friday, Mark's version captures it best, I think, especially with his unexpected ending which we'll hear shortly. As I've mentioned, Mark's story lacks many of the familiar details that we're used to hearing on Easter morning. Instead, he just gives us a a direct and kind of stark picture of what happened very early on that Sunday. Three women who had been at the cross on Friday returned to the tomb. They had watched as Jesus had been hastily buried on Friday afternoon before the start of the Sabbath. It's just a few verses before our reading for today. And now that the Sabbath had ended, they wanted to properly care for his body. Startled to find the tomb open, they went went in to look for Jesus, but instead of finding him, they find a stranger who tells them that Jesus has been raised and that they should go and tell the disciples to meet him back in Galilee. It was bad enough. That the, that the Romans had executed their Lord. Now they were trying to give him the simple honor of anointing his body for burial, and they discover him missing with, with some stranger telling them to, to share the news with the others. Now, sure, with the luxury of hindsight, as we reread the story, we find the breadcrumbs along the way. Knowing what we know now, when we read the Gospels, we see the hints, the clues, the foreshadowing about the resurrection. With the luxury of hindsight, we know that Jesus' resurrection should not have been a surprise. That's the story we've all come to hear today, after all. But that first Easter had to have been a a disorienting and disruptive experience. Now, by chance, if you were to be following along in your Bibles, uh, you would notice that the last chapter of Mark, chapter 16, is actually 20 verses long. But verses 9 to 20 were a much later addition, added perhaps as many as 100 years after Mark originally wrote his gospel. And then wedged between verses 8 and 9, there's something that typically appears in parentheses in most Bibles. It's often called the shorter ending of Mark. But that was added in the 4th century AD, hundreds of years after Mark originally wrote. 
the earliest manuscripts that we found end with verse 8, which means that the evangelist Mark originally concluded his story this way. So they, the women, went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Amen. That's it. That's how the earliest account of Easter originally ended. The women running away scared without telling a soul. Of the four gospel accounts, the end of Mark's gospel is absolutely the most shocking, not because of the resurrection, of course, we all know that that was coming, but because of the reaction to it. This is not how we expect the story to end. This is not the story that we expect to hear on Easter morning. A few years back, uh, a group from a church that I was serving at the time went on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. If you've never been to the Holy Land, I highly recommend it. Uh, They call it the fifth gospel because it it brings to life our faith in a new way. That was certainly uh, my experience. And our last stop on the trip was fittingly enough, uh, the, gospel, uh, the garden tomb, it's called, which archaeologists and scholars have identified as one of two possible sites of Christ's resurrection. The other site is the ancient and impressive and beautiful Church of the Holy Sepulcher, and that's pictured here. Historically speaking, that church is almost certainly the true site of the resurrection. But the garden tomb is much closer to what it may have looked like on that first Easter morning. Just like the the women in the story, you can actually go into the tomb, which is hewn out of uh, the rock in a hillside. And as you exit, there's a plaque that reads, He is not here, for he is risen. It's an incredibly moving experience to be in that place, to get a sense of what what it may have been like on that first Easter. As we were waiting for our turn to go into the tomb, our guide, who had been with us all week, he was fantastic, he was explaining to us how the tomb um, in the Gospels had belonged to Joseph of Arimathea, and how uh, he had offered the tomb for Jesus' burial. That's in the verses immediately preceding our reading for today. Our guide said, what the Gospels don't tell us, though, is that when Joseph went home and told his wife that he had given their tomb away, she was not at all happy about it. Tombs were expensive, after all, and while they had certainly given the tomb for a worthy cause, uh, she felt like she and Joseph should have talked about it first. Don't worry, Joseph said to his wife, it's only for the weekend. (laughs) Yes, our guide in Palestine, even guides in the Holy Land, have preacher jokes, and that one makes me laugh every time I tell it. He has been raised. This is the the foundational proclamation of the Christian faith. It's the good news that brought all of us together today. We read the story with the benefit of almost 2,000 years of Christian tradition. When our group visited the 
the garden tomb and heard that bad preacher joke. We went there uh, because of what we believed happened on that first Easter and because of what, what it continues to mean in our lives today. All of which can make us wonder why the women, according to Mark, fled in amazement and terror. But of course, they did not know then what we know now. These faithful women thought that their journey with Jesus was over that morning as they made their way to the tomb to say goodbye. We should not underestimate their sense of disorientation and disruption. The original last verse of Mark is unexpected to us all of these years later, but read from their perspective. Mark's original ending, frankly, seems pretty realistic. Now, we know that they got it together pretty quickly, right? We know that God helped them reorient themselves to the the new thing that God was doing among them. Of course, they told the 11. Of course, they shared the news. And this great movement was born, a movement that continues to give life to each of us, the movement that brings us all here today. And you know, this Easter, I have a new appreciation for what I used to think was an unexpected ending to Mark's gospel. When we consider all the challenges that we've faced together in terms of social upheaval and politics and the weather and, of course, the virus that shut down the entire country for a while, the entire world for a while, and from which the world is still recovering today. The past year has been incredibly disorienting and disruptive, so much so that today, when I read the original ending of Mark, it's much easier for me to identify with their sense of confusion and fear. But much more importantly, I find hope and inspiration in what I know came after that original ending, the the reorientation that changed the world, the good news that those women shared, good news that has been passed down from generation to generation, good news that we proclaim today in retelling this most important story ever told. The assurance that suffering and death do not get the final word The promise that our God is a God of resurrection and new life, even when things seem darkest. Especially when things seem darkest. And I am so excited to see what God will do next in and through this community of faith. Last Sunday was Palm Sunday. And I got a glimpse of something here on campus that all of us have been missing. Uh, Yes, we're all still wearing masks. I'm not wearing one now, but when I'm not preaching, I do. Yes, we're all still socially distanced. And yes, there are still plenty of people who are not ready or able to come back to campus yet. But last Sunday, there were lots of faces here that I have not seen in a year as more and more of us get vaccinated There were tears of joy 
as old friends reconnected, having journeyed together through the past year in spirit only as a community of faith. Echoing in our halls was the joyful noise that has been missing for over a year now. Like the first shoots of green after a long, hard winter, it was a a glimpse of the way things used to be and the way things will be again someday soon. Not a day too soon. Friends, just as on that first Easter, out of the disorientation and disruption of what has been, there are signs of reorientation and resurrection and new life all around us. That's kind of God's thing. Thanks be to God that we all get to be part of it. Amen.